kid. I like dropping bombs, but my dad, he doesn't like dropping bucks. So, I've been beating pitchers with discounts bats from closeatbats.com. Just tell Max and Roy that the Playball Kids sent you, and they'll take as good a care of you as they have me since I was in Little League. Sheets, you ready? Ready to rock, my man. Let's go. Let's play ball. So first question here, can you just tell us a bit about your journey to your role at ABCA, both your playing background and coaching through every division of college baseball? Yeah, it's an interesting story. A lot of twists and turns. It starts in Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, born and raised. Um, I call it God's country. It's where uh, God has a palace, uh, sits atop University of Kentucky's campus. Um, but I love there, love being from the Bluegrass State and, and played high school baseball, obviously. Had a great high school coach uh, and, and assistant coach, and Darren McDonald and David Kamak. And uh, they really pushed me in a different direction when I got there. They as my fourth, uh, I'm sorry, third head coach in four years. And so, uh, but but they were exactly who I needed for my senior year and uh, challenged me a lot, got me in shape, and then pushed me to uh, really pursue college baseball. I took a opportunity to play at the University of Charleston in West Virginia and uh, spent two years there, redshirted for a season, ended up having shoulder surgery, uh, and then transferred back closer to home. Kentucky Wesleyan College was down in Owensboro, Kentucky, uh, Division Two, and I ended up finishing up my career there for three years, part-time DH, very bad player, shoulder never came back, but I got a chance to be a team captain for three years and um, and really figure out that, hey, this is what I want to do for a living. I want to coach. I want to be around people and and guide them and and uh, take on that responsibility. So I got right into coaching right away uh, through my, my playing career, finishing up. I didn't go play summer ball. I actually coached. So I coached uh, two teams back home in Kentucky. And then when I graduated, went right into coaching, took a, a literal volunteer job at Georgetown College, which is about 10 minutes from my home in Frankfurt, uh, NAI school, brand new coaching staff, and was there for one season. And then uh, ran a baseball academy back in Owensboro with my college coach for a year. That led me into coaching college summer baseball for a year. We brought a team back, the Owensboro Oilers, uh, with my college coach, Alan Cox, who's now in Okotoks, Alberta, Canada. And um, we had a great season, ended up winning the league in our first year back. And one of those players played at Brescia University, which is there in Owensboro. He had a brand new coach come in. He said, man, if you have any interest, we'd love to get you as assistant coach. I meet the head coach, offers me the job. It's a $5,000 graduate assistant position, Sammy. And what that means is, especially at the time when you're married, $5,000 doesn't go very far. And so you have to get a job. And so I worked at a metal factory from 5 a.m. in the morning until 2 in the afternoon so that I could coach from 2 to 10 uh, and did that for a year and really found out that this is what I want to do. I was willing to sacrifice and do some things to do that. So um, did that for a year. I took that next summer, and I worked every camp in the country, traveled all over, lived in my car, slept in bad hotel rooms uh, just to try to make a little bit of money. But I knew I had to meet people. I had to network. I had to grow in that respect and uh, got the attention of the staff at the University of Kentucky. John Cohen invited me to come on staff at UK, which was awesome to come back home and uh, be in the SEC. Spent three seasons there, as a one as a GA, two as the director of baseball operations, and then I left there and wanted to get back into small school. I went to St. Joe's College up in Indiana with Rick O'Dead, who's down at St. Leo now in Florida. And I spent two years there as recruiting coordinator. Uh, got full time. Finally made uh, 18 grand with benefits, which was at the time I was a, a multi-millionaire when I had that check. Um, and then left there and got a, a small college head coaching job back in Louisville. And I spent three seasons there as head coach. And then this opportunity came about to come to ABCA, which is a 
an organization that I'd been a loyal member, attended every convention, was certainly passionate about the opportunity to uh, come to this side of the fence, become, in essence, the liaison between the coaches and the association, but then find new ways to grow this this uh, fraternity, which I know we'll get into. And in the meantime of that, I still kept my evaluation eyes open. Uh, I've been an associate scout with Atlanta Braves for the last four years as well, um, really trying to lock down some of the the higher-end talent around this area, which is a, a, a baseball hotbed near Greensboro and in the state of North Carolina. So uh, that led me to here, man. And then obviously with, with being here, I've been able to grow a podcast and uh, move our social media accounts forward and uh, do some coaching clinics and and do things to get out of the office to mix it up with my dudes out in their space. So that's the that's the long and the short of it, my man. So my dad just renewed his uh, ABCA membership for like the fifth or sixth year in a row. So what exactly is the ABCA and who is it for? Yeah, so the ABCA, I appreciate that, is is basically your baseball coaching fraternity. It is the national coaches group uh, that we really cover all levels of amateur baseball. And now we're starting to cover a lot of guys into professional baseball. So it started in 1945, 27 college coaches got together and said, hey, we've got to be able to find a way to stay organized. We want to get all of us in the same room. Not only can we challenge each other with baseball information, but when it comes to uh, awards, when it comes to national tournaments, when it comes to uh, all these things, we need to have an organized voice. And so the history of the ABCA is pretty, pretty cool, Sammy. We actually helped start the College World Series there in Omaha, which is a really neat thing to, to talk about. We actually started the first ever All-American teams uh, which again are really prevalent now, and we've just grown it from there. So there for about you know 40 years from that point, we were just for college coaches. There was a moment where uh, high school coaches kept kind of beating down the doors, hey, we want to be part of this. You know, we want to come to convention. They opened the doors to to all high school coaches, and then now we're at a place where you know we're over 11,000 members around the world. We have all 50 states covered. I think it's closing in on 30 different countries covered. Um, and we cover all levels. So it's the youth coach to the high school coach, the travel coach, uh, certainly all levels of college baseball. And again, like I mentioned, a lot of professional coaches, whether they're minor league or major league or in their front office, they attend our convention where our biggest event of the year is where about six to 7,000 coaches show up into one place for four days. This year, we're going to Nashville in January and it's uh, nonstop coaching clinics, nonstop networking world's largest baseball trade show. It is the world's largest gathering of baseball coaches. But then past that, we do things like a weekly podcast. We do regional coaching clinics throughout the fall. Uh, we have serious engagement on our social media channels so that we can keep our coaches engaged, challenge them to grow. Uh, but in, again, the long and short is that uh, we are here as a fraternity. We're here as to, to build a community of baseball men that want to get better and women that want to get better and uh, you know find a way to continue to challenge ourselves to grow. So how do people sign up for ABCA and then how much does it cost to sign up for ABCA? Awesome, man. You're teaming me up really well, man. Uh, the website's abca.org. Simple site to, to navigate. The dues are $55. So the beauty of it is, man, we've kept our costs down. We are a nonprofit and we work to operate that way. And that um, as long as we can cover our budget, then that's where we're going to do with our pricing. And so like our convention, for instance, is only $80, $80 registration fees, for four days of conventions, $55 to become a member. The difference is about five years ago, or four years ago, I'm sorry, we actually changed our uh, membership to where you actually get benefits for being part of it, where before you were just kind of offering a checkup to say you were part of it. A lot of that was inclusion so that you could come to the convention. But now we've got coaches that are wanting to become members, even if they can't attend the convention, because we are offering benefits such as personal liability insurance, 
hotel and rental car discounts, discounts with our partners like Wilson and Rawlings um, and, and all those groups. So we've got things that attract people in. But what we're starting to see is that we're trying to build loyalty in that people want to be members year after year after year. You want to build up your continuous membership because it does, just like in every other facet of life, whether you're a, 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 you have hobbies or you're in other sports or other professions, it means something to be part of your professional association. And certainly we're trying to grow that within our baseball community. So last year, I was able to attend the ABCA convention in Dallas, even though I sprained my ankle the day before. I didn't know if I could walk the morning of. Um, but of course, I'm a little stubborn. I was 13. So yeah. Yep, and we sure. went anyway. Sure. Um, so I have a couple questions about the convention. So yeah. first off, last year, there were over 6,000 coaches from all levels. That included my current pitching coach, Scott Lacey, uh, my future high school coach, John Carter, Mm -hmm. And to the best known high school and professional coaches like Tewksbury and Kyle Bodie and my recent guest, Alan Yeager. So yep. why is ABCA um, such a diverse group of attendees and presenters? Oh, man. Uh, well, first of all, man, congrats to you. Like I tip my cap to a dude that sprains his ankle. Uh, I I complain because I live off of like granola bars and, and water for uh, four days while everybody's there. I don't get a chance to really eat dinner or lunch. But uh, I definitely didn't have any broken limbs or sprained ankles. So uh, nods to you. It, it is a diverse group. Um, I think the 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 draw and, and where it's obviously been and then where we've tried to build it even more is inclusion. And so you got to you look at across our demographics, man, we've got about roughly of the of the 11,000 members, roughly 40 percent are they they claim that they're high school coaches. And so that's, you know, a younger demographic of coach. And so the content should try to be relative to those guys. We're about the next, you know, 30% of that, 35 is going to be college coaches. And then with the remaining percentages, you're talking about, um, you know, youth coaches, you're talking about um, sometimes private instructors. You mentioned Bobby, um, you know, front office personnel. There's a, a lot of MLB personnel that walk around and listen to clinics and, and meet with coaches or have different meetings on site that give them a chance to maybe find the next coach for their minor league team or their major league organization. So it is a very diverse group, but I think the biggest piece for us has been complete inclusion and, and everyone's welcome. We have a ton of softball coaches that come to our convention, which is a, uh, really something that's, that's happened within the last three years where they number one felt like they could come. Uh, and then number two, when they get there, they're welcome with open arms. And so, at least, you know, uh, from inside this office and certainly from the things that I get a chance to do, that's been a big push is like, Hey, we're all number one, lifelong learners above all. And, and if, if you subscribe to that, then you're welcome. Um, don't have to be a current coach. Don't have to, there's no prerequisites. Don't have to, um, you know, be in the middle of a coaching job. You're just a person that wants to get better. You're a person that wants to get around great baseball conversations, find something new to take back to your program or back to your facility or, just something you want to stew on or you just want to be around the game. So uh, I think the reason it grows and the reason it's so diverse is we're not saying at the gate saying, hey, let me check your badge to make sure you're this or you're that. It's, hey, if you want to be here, we'd love for you to be part of what we do because everybody takes something different from it. And what I mean by that is there's guys that will, like I was as a coach, I would sun up to sundown, sit in every single clinic. I, I did not leave. I went and grabbed lunch, came right back. And I made sure I saw every speaker from the first guy to the last guy. But there's a lot of coaches that don't necessarily get that, especially now that we give them videos. There's guys that need to walk that trade show. They've got to find new uniform deals. They've got to get new hats. 
before the season starts. They want to, they got money to spend. They want to get a brand new machine. Uh, they want to check out the latest technologies. There's guys that come for the networking, you know, Hey, I'm already established. And uh, again, I get the video, so I get the clinic side of it, but man, I need to meet more people. I need to, uh, find a junior college coach in California so I can recruit to bring them to my school in Florida, whatever it might be. Everyone can take something different from the experience. And I think from our standpoint, we just open the doors and let people, uh, you know, land where they fall. So with all your years you've been attending, what has been your favorite session you got to go to? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, well, you know, the one actually I was talking with a coach yesterday that still moves me, uh, was back in 2014. Um, I'm sorry, it would have been the convention of 2015, uh, where Tim Corbin had just won his first national championship. And, uh, he gets up on stage and he goes through a basically a, a perspective that I think I know for people that were there, it still challenges them. And again, this was referenced yesterday uh, to me. It, he talked about being a stepfather. And I don't know if at that time, I mean, you, you've maybe had that thought and you've thought about it, but to hear someone up on the main stage, first speaker, all eyes on him to say, as a coach, you need to consider yourself a stepfather because that's who you are, especially as a college coach. That's who you are. You're going to spend more time with this young man from 18 to 22 than his parents will. And so they've done a good job getting him to this point. Now it's your job to help be the guardrails, as Jerry Weinstein would say, be the guardrails on the highway and help this, this young man navigate his life. You're the stepfather. I think a high school coach could take a lot from that too. You're going to spend a ton of time with this kid and certainly they got to go home to their parents and they're going to still have, um, you know, guidance from them. But I think it's that investment. It's that, it's that genuine care, um, that, that really hit me. Now at the time, uh, so that was 2015. So I was still a year away from having my first son Cooper and, um, it, it hit home, but it didn't hit home. And now that I've had two kids, I got Coop and I got CJ, it, it really, absolutely knocks me back that when you do have an opportunity to coach kids, it is about investing in them and caring about them because they are someone else's son. And so you've got to have that level of care and investment. Um, that's one. And if anybody listening to this can remember, uh, and this is just because it was, it was one of the first presentations I ever saw. And I think it was Oh seven, uh, or Oh eight in Orlando and Ken Revisa. Uh, God bless his heart, man, was up on stage and it was definitely not the first time he spoke, but man, for me, it was the first time I'd ever heard of this cat and I had never thought about mental game of baseball. And certainly this guy's challenging me to, to bring some stuff back to our kids. And he's, he's going, he's showing us videos and he's going through his stuff, but he has this thing, this 32nd attention, uh, uh, drill where basically, Hey, for the next 30 seconds, don't think, keep your eyes right here and listen to what I say. And boom. And he goes for 30 seconds and he's like, the tone in this room just changed. There's a new presence inside this room. And I'm telling you with 6,000 coaches in there, it is dead silent. You can't hear anyone breathe. There's no movement, no shuffling of papers and everyone's locked into this moment. And I just went, wow, if that's what we can get with our players, if we can get their attention in those moments, or if we can get them to train themselves mentally to where they can get to a place of that intense level of focus when it matters, man, we've really got something. So those are two that jump off the page to me that I still can remember exactly where I was sitting in the auditorium. I remember exactly the notes that I took, uh, when I heard him, uh, but there's still definitely speeches that still rock me to this day. So this is kind of a uh, hypothetical question. So a young athlete like me who has been using technology like the hit tracks and like the rep Soto, 
I was about to enter high school for the first time or even college for the first time. So let's assume we've been working with our own coach using the data from RepSoto that shows the best pitches for us is a four seam up in the zone and then a slider and a change up off of that four seam. So we get into these new programs with coaches who have not uh, had the access to that data and they want to, uh, to change our approach to, based on what they uh, always have done. So hmm. maybe throwing fastballs down in the zone and then trying to throw a curve off of that instead. So how do we as a coach and an athlete work together to maximize both of our goals? That's a great question. I think it starts with the communication. And I know that's a um, maybe a blanket term, but I mean, <laughs> I think as a number one, as a coach, you got to be open and welcome to conversation with your players. And that for a coach starts with looking in the man in the mirror. Are you a guy that, that likes to dictate? Or are you a guy that likes to maybe uh, collaborate? And that's a, uh, for me, a good starting place as a coach. Do you, is it really about, Hey, this is what I want you to do. And, and then you don't get to ask questions. This is just how we're going to pitch. Or are you a guy that goes, well, let me just ask you, what do you really do? What really works for you? What, what helps you? What do you think you've had the most success doing? Um, and then trying to build what the player has a frame of reference on around what you know to be true. And then I think that allows a lot of good back and forth. The collaboration piece is huge on, on in every front and every walk of life, but especially when it comes to, uh, again, a player that might be really versed in data and maybe a coach that isn't, that player then may have the opportunity. If again, the coach is welcoming this, uh, this conversation, he has the opportunity to really bring that coach up to speed in terms of, well, hey, just let me just let me grab my iPad real quick. I just want to show you a couple things that 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 have really worked for me that really make sense. I'm gonna see what you think. And again, the player then has an opportunity. And I'll think it you know, again. I think this is a, a positive thing. And I, that's that's the way I try to frame a lot of things, Sammy. Is that how fast can I spin it positively? But this really is one where you, as a 14 year old player, could be teaching a 30, 35, 40 year old coach about how to use technology and how this works. And instead of us uh, as coaches at times falling back to teaching what we were taught, um, you then have a chance to bring him up to speed on, well, I know that that's, that's where our thoughts have always lent themselves, but actually it's this. And actually this makes more sense. And actually here's a way that, that I've really worked at, you know, finding success, success on the mound by doing these things. So I think it, again, starts with communication, but the, the players got to come from a place of, um, they're going to handle it maturely, which obviously, Sammy, you're running your own podcast. I know that you will, but the coach then has to have a place of, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. I'm willing to listen. This kid is prepared. He approached me the right way. Let's sit down and have a conversation. And a lot of times probably goes without saying that that is always done, especially initially it's always done in a, in an office behind closed doors or one-on-one, -on -one, never in front of a group and never a place of of where that coach could take offense or certainly be embarrassed. I think it's always a coaches, you know, from, from my standpoint, here's some things I've really done that I think, you know, would work. I'm willing to listen to what you have to offer. Certainly. I, I want to grow You're you're, you know, even at 14, if you're 40, do that dude's got a, a wealth or whether it's good or bad, he's got a wealth of perspective that you just don't have yet. Um, so it's good to listen. It's good to pull from everyone and anyone, but at the same time, you then have a chance to maybe bridge that gap for him. So it's, it's actually a, a pretty neat opportunity for both sides. So you have done over 130 podcasts for the ABCA. What has been some of your greatest lessons from doing those podcasts? Oh, baby, 139 as, as of today. Um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> I do know this. I know that uh, and what you're probably figuring out is the more that you do, the better you get. 
And I think early on I wanted to be, I wanted to be perfect. Um, and so much so <laughs> this, you'll laugh about this. So anybody listens to our show, you know, I, I have a pretty, you know, three to four minute intro, but again, we're an associations podcast. We're not, this isn't just sheets out here working interviews. This is, I'm trying to do this on behalf of our association. So we've got announcements, we've got things we want to make sure that people are up to speed on. Um, you know, there's a whole list of things I want to go through, but then, Hey, this is who we're having on. Hope you enjoy the show. And I used to try to do that off the cuff. And I'm pretty good off the cuff. I'm I'm actually really good off the cuff. But I tried to do that intro, but it had to be perfect. Well, Sammy, my first episode, Alan Jager, Butch Thompson, Scott Brown, Nate Yeske, four of the top pitching minds in the country, I am going to uh, do this intro off the cuff, and I bet I took 40 takes, like easily 40, 100%, maybe 50. And my second episode was Steve Springer. I bet I did 45 takes because it had to be perfect. And then I just realized, you know what, like, let me just like in anything, find a system that works, that simplifies it and allows me to have success and obviously maximize my time here. And I started building a script. So I have an intro script that I change for each and every episode. I mix words up and I change this here and obviously add and subtract. And I read off that, but I'm able to kind of ad lib at, at certain points. And that's just made me more efficient with my time. So for instance, yesterday when it's time to put the podcast together, I now have a system of, I know how long it takes me to edit. Um, and just like in anything you do, man, I'm taking notes through the interview. And so I'm checking, Hey, when I screw up or they screw up, Hey, at 3542, I have to edit that. And I make a checklist as I go down through it in the episode, when it's time to pump it out, like yesterday, I go through, I work backwards from those notes. I change those edits. I fix it up and clean it up. I do them all, all my, you know, good uh, limiting and leveling and all that good stuff. Pump it out. I've got my intro script ready. I dive in, I type it up. I can do it in one take. It takes me five minutes to edit it. And then I start bridging music together and I can build the show. So I had to develop a system. So that to me tells me a lot more about other things that I might get into. So for instance, barnstormers, I'm trying to organize 20 coaching clinics around the country. So 20 clinics with seven speakers per clinic. So you can do the math on that. It's 140 dudes that I've got to communicate with, find out their topics, get their time slots and all those things. Well, now that I'm in year four, I've got a system. I know exactly once I secure dates, I've got this timeline. And at this point I get the host speakers. And at this point I reach out to other coaches. I got to go boom, boom, boom. And I can bang this out. I'll get this done in the next two weeks. And so I think with the podcast that really showed me that, man, I've, I've got to be cognizant of time, but I've got to be efficient with systems. Um, the other lesson that I'll take away, Sammy, which I think maybe you're catching on here at, at 13, 14 years old is I don't know if there'll ever be a day that I won't be on a podcast <laughs> some sort of way because I've learned so much about myself. I've learned obviously through the conversations. Um, the beauty of it is, and your, and your, your list of people you've had on is so impressive. And I think the beauty of it is, and this is a nod to the host. And, and I had another guest give me this. He goes, man, you got to remember whoever you have on your show, if they say yes. So you, you know, Alan Jager and, and, uh, Bobby Tewksbury, and you go down the list of your, you know, of, of guests, you're on their level because you're hosting the show. And so if you get on a really good person, like for me, this moment came when I had on Augie Garrido in like, I think it was episode 28 and I'm trying to be cool, calm and collected under the, under the surface. I'm nervous as I've ever been cause it's Augie and I want to do right by him and I want to do him justice at the same time, man, you got to step back and go, dude, I'm on your level because you're on my show. 
And so I'm, I'm actually get a level of confidence from that. So now I'm at a place where it doesn't matter who we connect with. And I think you're getting to that point. It, there's no reason to be nervous because you're on my show. And so let me just kind of do what I do. I'll make sure I pump you up. I'll, I'll lead you to water, but I'm already on that level because you're here. So I think there's this place of once you get to that and you're not, um, I don't know if you've ever dove into imposter syndrome where you're, you're almost waiting for someone to figure out that you're not supposed to be there. That's been my way to move well past that. And it never even comes into play because then at that point, Sammy, you have a chance to really have a, an intellectual conversation. If you're constantly worried about being found out or do I really fit on this podcast with this guy? Oh my God, it's this guy. I've never, you know, gone for autographs or signed baseballs or anything like that. Dude, that's just a dude that's really good at baseball. Sweet. And he still has to put his pants on like I do. And I bring that to the podcast and that now that we're on even terms, now let's have a really engaging conversation. What can you offer me that's going to make me better? What can I take out of our conversation that I can you know, take home with me and, and become a better man because of it? So those are things I think that you're, you're in the middle of figuring out, but they're lessons that, man, I think about daily. They're things that I will always you know, come back to on a, whether it's guest by guest or, or month by month or season by season of shows. Uh, those are the things that jump off. But, you know, again, I'm at a place, man, 139 is going to be 200 soon. And, uh, it's going to be 400 a couple years later and we're going to get to a thousand. I'm chasing Joe Rogan and we're really far behind, but I'm going to get there one day, but I, there's no way I'll ever not be on this platform because I think there's so much to be gained as a host, but obviously, uh, in the middle of great conversations with, with extraordinary people. That's what it's about for me. So final question here, what technology that you have seen are you most excited about and feel might change the game the most? Mm. Well, and, you know, I got to be careful here because we have a lot of technologies as, as partners and and uh, and certainly ones that want to be or people that exhibit at our show. Um, the one I always default to and in, in, I've spent a lot of time with them because they're, they're our proud sponsor of Barnstormers uh, has been Blast. And, uh, you know, official motion sensor of Major League Baseball, they're in 20 seven, I believe 27 of the 30 major league clubs, uh, use blast. And the beauty of it is, man, it's completely user-friendly. Uh, you can hook up your iPad, you can scrub video. It's got metrics throughout. It's simple. It's easy to use. I think the biggest piece for me, uh, and I've always said this, if I go back to coaching tomorrow, it is a, uh, it's the first call I make because I think from an offensive group, it's going to build accountability quickly because if you put that thing on your bat and you go get swings, I can tell that you got 20. I can tell you got 50, but I can also tell the intent uh, behind it. If you hook the iPad, I can go back and watch the video. And so the beauty of it is I think the accountability piece for me as a coach is, is one that uh, we're always searching for. And I know as a college coach, uh, your kids go home for Christmas break. You don't know what they're doing. And this is a way that if they do have their own sensor, they can get swings on their own. You can track them from your office. If you, if you're in school in Florida and they're in school and are back home in California, you'll be able to find out what they do over Christmas break. And so I think the accountability piece is huge, but, uh, ease of use. And I think for maybe more broadly, Sammy, I think for any coach listening to this, um, you've heard it a thousand times, but Hey, you got to find a way to embrace this you know, technology boom, because it's certainly not going away. And I think over the next few years, um, a lot of great groups, a lot of great companies, a lot of great things, people are, are drawn from this stuff and it's going to iron itself out. I don't know if it'll be, uh, as heavy, maybe five years from now in terms of use and, 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 uh, attention to data and attention to those things. But dude, for right now, cause this is the spirit we're coaching in is right now, 
you got to get caught up to speed because there's, there's conversations that are happening that, uh, I know that I used to be scared of that now I embrace because, Hey, like rap Soto, I know you were talking about rap Soto a minute ago, dude, I've, I've seen it, but I've never messed with it. I've never stared at the iPad. I've never watched a kid throw a bullpen and, and watch what rap Soto offers. I've never seen the rap Soto hitting side of things ever. Um, I don't know anything about it, but part of me is I really want to know so that I can have a conversation with someone so that I can figure out how I would use that as a coach and how I would coach and, and, uh, and certainly work towards development of those kids. Um, I think as any coach listening to this, man, you have to embrace it. You got to jump in with both feet, realize that you don't know what you don't know. Um, realize that sometimes you still won't know because you still don't even know the question, but that's okay. That's part of it. Cause we're all on that same journey. If you're willing to, to open yourself up to those convos. Sheets, thank you so much for playing ball. <laughs> Thanks, Sammy. Hey, and best of luck with everything, man. If there's anything that we can do or I can do personally to help you out, my friend, I'm all I'm all for it, man. So let me know what I can do. Thank you. Hey, it's Sammy here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I would like to ask for your help. Tell me what questions you would like answered. If you could also take a moment to review the show, the algorithms are taking into account how many ratings and reviews I get. The more reviews, the more people they restore the podcast with. Thank you, Baseball Think Tank and MM3 2011 for the reviews this week. And don't forget to play ball, kid.